Hello, welcome to another episode of Some Random Thoughts. I'm your host, Ryan Wolkowski, and on the program today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Megan Crozier. Hey, Megan. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I first met her in a clubhouse room, Progressive Christians. It's a really large group, so if that is something that's of your interest, you should definitely go check that out. It's a wonderful room, lots of great people. Uh, They're doing lots of activity all the time there. But you can also find Megan all over social media. So Megan, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what you'd like to talk about, and where people can find you. Yeah, so um, I'm actually an elementary school teacher, but on the side, I am a writer. And I have loved kind of evolving and figuring out my voice in this space. I write about faith deconstruction. I identify as progressive Christian. Um, My jam right now is probably Twitter. And I'm at the Pursuing Life, and I have started a Facebook group called the Pursuing Life, and it's it's Progressive Christians Deconstruction and More. It's called, and so I'm on Clubhouse, Facebook, Instagram, all the places under the Pursuing Life. Awesome, simple enough. So the Pursuing Life is where people can find you and all your on the social media. Okay, well, very good. So thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have you because you do speak a lot about what we're going to talk about on this episode. So. By the way, what we're doing is a revisit episode, and what that means is Megan is going to be discussing and I will be discussing um, a previous episode I did in season one. So this episode is going to be on spirituality and deconstruction. So in season one, which you can go check out wherever you get your podcasts, um, I talk about a lot about my story, talk about a lot about my religious upbringing and kind of my religious life and then my deconstruction into where I am now. And then I share a little bit at the end about what deconstruction is, how do you move through it, what are some healthy ways, things like that. On this episode, you don't need to hear my story again. So Megan is going to share her story about kind of her spiritual journey, kind of where she's been and what she talks about now, what she's passionate about. And then we'll talk a little bit more about what do we think deconstruction is? What's a good way to move through that process? Why is the process happening in the first place? Why is it becoming a bigger and bigger movement amongst so many people? And then we'll talk about, <laughs> we might have a little debate about, you know, religion versus, you know, non-religion, pros and cons, stuff like that. Maybe just to mix it up and shake it up a little bit, keep Megan nice. on her toes here. <laughs> so, nice. um, so Megan, uh, first of all, what I want to do is I want to give you lots of time and I want you to just share about your spiritual journey, your religious background, and what are some of the changes that you've gone through f- throughout your life and how did you navigate some of the, the difficulties and some of the, the positives of your journey? Yeah, so I grew up evangelical. I grew up in the Midwest and we went to a church that was non-denominational sort. It was, um, it actually, they did identify as evangelical free, but we really were modeled after like Willow Creek. We had a lot of, we went to their conferences. We, um, yeah, did all that. And so I grew up and went to a Christian college. I was the youth group leader, student leader, and just very um, rule following. And when I was in college, I signed a pledge that I would be a missionary for a couple of years after college. I studied Spanish. And so I had this kind of outline of my life. And I'm going to jump forward 20 years because as my faith ebbed and flowed throughout my life, um, when COVID hit, I had this kind of 
spiritual reckoning where I started, I had had this time in college where I had prayed for an hour a day for two years. And I started to kind of connect things that I had prayed for to things that happened years and years later. And so I spent a lot of COVID really walking through my journey from college, I say from college to COVID and just really writing through all of those things. And I wrote this memoir that um, called Nothing is Impossible, The Memoir of Prayer. And um, it, I, I always like to say now that I'm deconstructing my memoir because <laughs> what happened is it like fits so perfectly and so nicely. And I have some stories about miracles and healing and, and answered prayers. And, and it just didn't sit right with me. I just, I don't know, there were things in there. And then I would like, as I traced back and I wasn't, I wasn't super generous about all of those things all the time. Cause I do talk about purity culture and I talk about right. what it was like in college to pine away for my spiritual leader to come show up and pursue me. Mm. And I talk about those things, but I, I also, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't as, um, I, I guess I wish I would have pushed back more while I was writing that and everything just kind of ended in this nice, nice, neat, neat package. And I had beta readers read it and they were like, Oh, this is so moving and so amazing. And your story is just so great but I still had this discomfort. And I, I, at the time I was super involved in a church. Um, and so COVID was happening and I was watching church online and that discomfort started to grow. The more I started to lean into like, wow, this church is, um, they just made it very clear how complimentarian they are. And, oh man, like they're talking about black lives matter, but they are like very, very, um, clear to say like, we don't want to disrupt the nuclear family structure. And this is why. And, and I just, I started yeah. to say like, where's that discomfort coming from? And yeah, so I started to really dig in. And of course it was, you know, in the political climate that we're in too. And so there was a lot that I was, I was reading a lot of books. And so yeah, I have a lot, a lot in that 20 years that now I look back and I'm like, what was that actually? Was that, was that an answer prayer or was that just life or what happened there? So, um, I can unpack as much, as much of that as possible. Yeah. But. So, so it sounds like the 20 year period, which you describe as college to COVID, right? Um, did your deconstruction start like at COVID or do you feel like maybe you were deconstructing for longer than that, but you didn't have a word for it or you probably didn't know what you were experiencing. And so you maybe just chalked it up to growing pains in faith or like when exactly, do you feel like there was like a precipice moment for you or do you feel like this was just like a really long, slow, gradual progression toward where you are today? Yeah, so I was always a little bit different and I felt that difference and it was because things bothered me that didn't bother other people. And so yeah. like when I was in college, um, I went to a protest about the war in Iraq and I had wow. friends that were like, and I was really down during that time. And I had friends that were like, why, why is this bothering you so much? It's happening, not even here, you know? And I was like, why wow. is this not bothering you, you wow. know? Yeah. And so, yeah, like things like that, but I never, I kind of just let it go. And I think what happened during COVID was I started, I, you know, I started to see, hear more stories and listen more. And I started yeah. to realize that the reason that I was letting those things go was because I had the privilege to do that. And so mm. sure. I felt comfortable in evangelical spaces because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ordained and trying to pe preach. I was not, I, 
I don't identify as queer. I, you know, I, I wasn't from a marginalized community. And so I think yeah. I stayed in that space for a really long time and didn't do the kind of digging in work that helped me to understand. So I, I wouldn't say I was full on identifying as in deconstruction until November, December. I mean, you could watch my Instagram that it starts to shift from Bible, Bible verses to like rainbows. <laughs> Interesting. So we, yeah, we even see that progression with you, um, even on social media and you would see it online too, obviously you would actually even see my progression, even from the last episode in season one to this episode, because I've made jumps even in the last year. And mm -hmm. a lot of that had to do with COVID. So in season one, I kind of said I was a Christian, but I really wasn't. I'm more like interfaith because of my background as a chaplain and, but now I'm like, well, I'm still a chaplain and I would still be interfaith in providing that support to patients and families, uh, do it in the hospice setting. But personally, I wouldn't even consider myself a Christian anymore. And I, I have been saying for about the past year ish, give or take, that I'm an, an agnostic atheist humanist. Um, and that resonates a lot better with me than me trying to hold on to a label. Yeah. And I just couldn't hold on to anymore for lots of reasons. But getting back, <clears throat> so it seems like you were wrestling with things most people didn't want to wrestle with because maybe for whatever reason. Um, do you think that discontent um, is something that people can have and still be religious? Because I feel like a lot of people that have a lot of social discontent or a lot of... Um, cultural discontent seem to just go in my direction more they just seem to kind of just abandon it all and just say burn it down and let's just let me just trudge on in, a, in another path but you're someone who still identifies as a progressive christian so what is it about the christian narrative or the christian story whatever you want to call it um that still compels you to still be drawn to that and still find whatever you get to structure meaning or purpose or just kind of an identity? Sure. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And I ask myself that question sometimes. And so I, I would say, I always say I'm, I'm a progressive Christian today. Um, I think that I really evolved out of what I believe has to be the the, the belief, the thing that people believe or the truth. Um, I think that I, 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 as I look at those 20 years, as I look at my life, there are things that I really feel like were divine, were God, mm -hmm. but I have not, there are pieces that I haven't touched that I haven't gone back to because it's so complicated in the sense of, um, what was God and what was a manipulation of an experience mm. that was, you know, I, I, I had, I had a small group where we talked about prophecy a lot. I had people praying healing. I had a health issue with my daughter and we prayed healing over her. And it was very, it was just a very confusing time trying to unpack and understand what that was. And so I've gone from undeniably God to, I, I really do feel like God is in all of this and God is somewhere. And I felt like in the spectrum of progressive Christianity, I could live in that space and evolve and figure that out and work with it. Um, but I did not get to a point where I was like, 
all right, this is all garbage and I'm just, just going to okay. walk away. I don't, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and that's what makes me having conversations with various different types of people so fascinating because as someone who's kind of newly in the atheist humanist crowd, I haven't, I'm like, I'm new. I haven't been in that crowd that long, right? So I still wrestle from time to time. Uh, with various different things. And I think the biggest thing I wrestle with now more than anything is my life before, like things that just seem to have lined up mm-hmm. or what I would perceive as just things falling into place still mess with me a great deal. Like mm-hmm. I'm still kind of like, wow, there were moments and I could look back at my life and I just chalked it all up to God and it was so simple and it seems so just obvious but now, because I'm just firmly in my belief that that's not true, I still don't have an explanation for why things lined up the way they did back when they did in my life. And so now I'm kind of like in this I don't know space, which I feel like is honest, but at the same time, it like messes with me. I'm just like, oh, okay. Is there like a connectedness to something is there what am I missing right like am like what am I not seeing what am I not getting um and I think that there are some who probably still are frustrated with that and you and you're on Twitter actively I'm on Twitter actively and you probably see a lot of atheist Twitter just like I see atheist Twitter and I know you engage really well with atheists and agnostics I think just as much probably, if not more, as Christians or other religious people. What what has been some of the most worthwhile conversations or worth worthwhile things you've learned from atheists or agnostics or people that don't identify the way you believe? What are some of the things that you've really been surprised about, taken aback about, or just kind of like, oh, wow, that's cool, and I'm so glad that I kind of learned that or experienced that? Yeah. Um, I, I want to answer that, but I do want to respond to what you said about trying to figure out like what things were Okay. Yeah. because I would say that when I look back at my life and I look at, um, you know, I did not become a missionary after college. I became a bilingual elementary school teacher and I did not marry the quote unquote spiritual leader that I thought I would. I married somebody that didn't grow up evangelical. And so when I look back at, I think this might've been God it's the reason that I think that is because it's not what the evangelical church would have outlined for me. If they, if they had scripted something, (laughs) it would not have matched that script. And I ended up in the Pacific Northwest, like very, you know, far from my roots, but in a place that I love and feel Mm -hmm. free. And so I think that, um, when I, that, that's just interesting to me to think, um, yeah, trying to separate, what was kind of the narrative that I was of things I was supposed to do or should have done versus what actually happened. So I just wanted to say, I think about that a lot, but um, as far as hanging out with atheists and agnostics, I feel so safe with, with y'all. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like I can say, I can put out on Twitter and say, man, it's been a rough day. And I will have, my atheist and agnostic friends send me a DM or a text message and say like, Hey, like, are you okay? I saw what you tweeted out. Like what's going on? Are you, do you need to talk? And I will have my Christian friends, bless their hearts. will say, I'll be praying. And it's like, you know, like that's awesome. Like pray. That's cool. But like, you don't know what's going on. How are you praying for me? Really? You know, like, what are you praying about? And 
And I do have friends that I will ask, will you pray for, for me about this or whatever? But when somebody just jumps in with that, I'll be praying, oh God, you know, I, you know, I shared recently that I was having a conflict with a friend and somebody was like, you should pray for her. That would make everything better. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's going to help. Like I really don't. And so my atheist and agnostic friends would never say that they're just real no. people. And yeah. if faith is not the foundation of our friendship, it's like, we're just friends. Like we're, yeah. you know, and we talk about all this stuff and that's cool. But like, there's no directive of this, this, did you have a quiet time this morning? Because I think maybe you would have less anxiety if you had prayed, you know, I don't know. It's reminding me of the things that I grew up with as well. And part of the reasons why I just felt compelled to like really deconstruct is because I was given such pat, like cliche, convenient answers that never seemed to be a, a good solution. And so for me, it was like finding like human answers to my human problems yes. was so much more helpful than trying to find religious answers to my human problems. And then there's moments where I connected with, like I, I could connect with the story of Jesus somewhat because in his humanness, it was like, yeah, I, I can understand why Jesus would be under great anguish and have anxiety because he was about to die. I could understand that he would flip the tables at the temple because of the infusion of greed in a space that's supposed to be sacred, right? Like, so the, a lot of the humanness of Jesus, like it, it made sense. And at the same time, Jesus seemed so inaccessible to me when he was really talking about like the supposed divine self. And I'm like, I don't understand that. And how is any, how, if I can't understand it and I'm born in a time where I feel like knowledge is just so much more vast, how are these like 12 men who come from very lowly backgrounds 2000 plus years ago, how are they going to possibly understand like these existential things, right? And so it's like I wrestled even with the narrative of Jesus um, and I still struggle with the narratives of the Bible in general and Jesus not speaking about certain things or speaking on certain things that just seemed questionable. But I'm so glad that you talked about how one thing that you really felt like with atheists and agnostics or non-spiritual people is that you feel safe because you felt like people actually listen to you. Is that a fair statement? Like you, you feel listened, you don't feel like you're being talked to or people yeah. are trying to fix it. You just feel like people are just trying to bear witness and be in solidarity with you and listen to you. And it seems like for you and, and things that have happened in your life, that seems to give you a lot more comfort than maybe trying to get the pat answer or the cliche answer or a convenient answer. Would that be yeah, fair? and I think listening without judgment too. Because I think I, I still in Christian spaces get a lot of that, like, why is this bothering you? Why mm. are you bothered by the idea of... Um, you know, why are you bothered? Like, are like, why are you bothered by complementarianism? Why are you bothered by, you know? And, and so I don't get that judgment in other spaces. And I also, I will say that most of my atheist and agnostic friends are people that have deconstructed out of faith. And so they hold space for me in a much different way than, I don't know. I, you know, I would imagine somebody that hasn't gone through kind of that same journey yeah. that I've been through. Although that being said, I, I've never met 
an atheist or agnostic that I haven't gotten along pretty well with. So oh, good. I don't that's know. good. Like, Batting a thousand. Like... Go atheists. Go agnostics. <laughs> yeah. Proud of you all. <laughs> awesome. Glad to hear it. If there's ever anyone that tries to just like mess with you, you let me know. <laughs> yeah. We'll get, we'll get your atheist. We'll, we'll pounce on that person. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. That's the... I think that was the struggle for me too, is I felt like I, I dealt with a lot of stress and a lot of issues and I just felt like people were just not listening. Like people just did not do a good job listening. Like you said, and specifically listening without judgment. And without an agenda too. Correct. Correct. And I feel like even in some of the um, clubhouse spaces, uh, the very, very Christian ones, not necessarily the one that you moderate, but I've been in like other ones just to check them out. And it's like the lack of just awareness about trying to be respectful of people's stories is just really baffling to me. And it's really frustrating that people yeah. just can't take five seconds or 10 seconds or 30 seconds just to listen, that they feel like they always have to say something and they always feel like they have to have an agenda. And that's one of the struggles that I still have with like many religious people, not all religious people, but many is that I feel like every time someone wants to reach out from my past, I'm already so cynical because I feel like they're reaching out because they want to bring me back, yeah. not because they really want to know how I'm doing, not because they really care to know how I'm doing. It's more like, hey, it's been a long time. And then at first they're trying to like soften it and make it sound like they really care. And then they're like, but what happened here? I read this or I heard that and like, I don't understand. And then they try to like do this like whole like evangelist evangelism thing with me and I'm just like no like stop like yeah I said what I said and I believe what I believe and I don't need you to to go there uh with me um what are the what are some of the things that frustrate you about Christianity the most that's that that's gonna be a really long answer probably for you but like just like just start you like know, doing a checklist like what are some of the I things think... that really get you hot like really grind your gears and really want think... you to just like shout Christians like I, I think it's I really like I okay. you know and I think back and I'll tell you a little a little bit I'll, I'll give you a couple examples but when I graduated from college I so when I was in college I had a couple I dated a couple guys that went on to be pastors and um they were jerks and I was mm. like this is supposed to be my spiritual leader and I had mentors that were like yeah you know relationships are hard. And if you fight, like, <laughs> that's okay. Fight, like people fight when they get married, like, that's cool. And I was like, but I, I don't know, we fight a lot. Like, I don't, I don't know if this, and I really think I worked extra hard to make those relationships work. Cause I thought, oh, this is like what God wants for me, you know? And then on top of that, um, you know, I had some issues with a church that I was, um, involved with and, when I left, I graduated and I had gone this, I, I'll try to tell this concisely, but I had been one of those people that thought like drinking was really bad and you should never, ever drink. And yeah. like, I, I would like, I would categorize people into like, you're a drinker and you're a non-drinker. And I was like 20 when I was doing this. So I was like, it doesn't even matter. Like I'm not even old enough to be legally drinking. But yet, so I remember I had this switch after I graduated and I went to a graduation party. I had a Mike's Hard Lemonade and I was like, I wait a second. Like, this is not the most evil thing that's ever happened to me. And so 
but at the time I was in this process of becoming a missionary. I had had, Mm -hmm. like, I was going through the stages. I had a church sponsored me and I was going through this process and I got to the very last step and it was, you were supposed to meet with a therapist and they were supposed to give you the go ahead. Like the, and okay. So you fill out this evaluation before you go to the appointment. I went there and I sat with this woman and she asked me if I've ever drank before. And I was like, you know, I used to not drink, but I, uh, now I occasionally will have a beer. And she was like, she spent the entire session reaming me out. And she said, you know, you have a problem. What? You're an alcoholic. You huh? should, um, at least detox for six months before you would ever go to Ecuador. And really, I was she really a therapist. I'm, I'm <laughs> starting to feel like I'm not getting therapist vibes. I'm getting like, <laughs> like uber biblical counselor and she's yeah. calling herself a therapist kind of vibe you know i looked her up recently she's she's retired but and she i i found Did a she have a license her. though she had a glass of wine at a um at an art gallery and on the picture on google and i was like oh, okay finally but no so she ruined me for like years because i thought i i internalized what she said and i was of like course. i have a problem i'm yeah. i'm a sinner i'm a horrible person and i feel like you know, that happens. There's, and I, I think in evangelicalism, it's like this culture that perpetuates things like that happening. There's mm-hmm. nobody preaching on Sunday mornings that say like, go give really bad therapy and, and like direct people's life. I mean, she changed my life. Cause I, at the time wow. was going to be a missionary and I did not become a missionary. And in my memoir, I, I heal like writing through that process. I really felt a lot of healing. Cause at the time, for years and decades, I thought I really blew it. And I went against what God wanted for me. I had signed this pledge to become a missionary and I did not do that. And so like what, like I always lived with this like small piece of shame of like, Mm. I don't, like, I think that this is not the path God wanted for me. And had I become a missionary, like maybe my life would have been different. Like I had this, you know, but now looking back, I'm like, no, I was never supposed to be a missionary. (laughs) Like I, and so I think but yeah, the church is right for that. Like it, you know, these directions, because they have this leadership of like, listen to people that speak truth into your life. This is God's will for you. This is, you know, the pastor, the mentor, the therapist, the, all these people. And the, yeah, I don't know. I just think it, um, it provides an environment that can easily turn harmful and toxic. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as an ex-clergy person, for me, I felt like, the majority of the pastors that I either worked with or just met through just being in church world for a long time um, were completely narcissistic and completely judgmental and had this God complex, like a superiority complex that was just so obvious that it really sickened me. And, And I think that's why I didn't get along with pastors, um, being a pastor. And I think it's why I didn't have a good experience being a pastor in the 10 years I was a pastor. I didn't ever have a, I didn't ever have a really healthy church experience in the 10 years that I worked in the church. And I can, I can, out of all the churches I've attended in my life, I think I can only name one church where I had somewhat of a healthy experience. And it was like the only church that I did not work in. Yeah. I was like just going to church and that was it. I wasn't even volunteering. It was like at a moment in my life, I'm like, I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to do anything. This is back when I was still kind of holding on to a progressive Christian identity. So I was like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to like go and like sing some songs and like listen to the sermon 
and maybe feel connected maybe and then go home like I just was burned out and that was the only healthy church experience I had and it's because I think just like I said I mean a lot of the pastoral identity is really really troubling um they just hold like really unhealthy views of themselves and it's kind of easy whenever you're thinking that God is speaking directly to you through the Holy Spirit and you got a word for so many people and the larger the church you have and if you're grow if it's growing and things are on the outside perce perceived to look really well I mean it's going to boost your ego and so you get this when egotistical thing too and you have to be you're right about everything when you're the pastor you're right. like you're right about everything and yeah, you so can't somebody be wrong. comes yeah <laughs> so it, you really have yeah yeah well and i remember my pastor describing why our our my former pastor why our church was complementarian and he was like yeah this is just one of those things that you wish wasn't in the bible but it is you know and i was like that's a really great cop out for you you know yeah. and yeah it's really easy when you're a guy yeah. you have a penis you know yeah. to say that you know so yeah but you just touched on something and i i don't mean to ask the questions but you said that you know when you were part of that community or that that church that you had the good experience with you yeah. did it to feel connected and you talked about that in your podcast too because yeah. i think that's a huge part of what pulls us in is mm -hmm. the community you find in church spaces and yeah. That community happens to revolve around a lot of beliefs and some people, it, I mean, it, some people get so stuck on the black and whiteness of it when it's yeah. so not black and white. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm in the, and I'm in the Southeast, right? So the culture in the South is, is so different than in other parts of the country because I've seen Christianity and specifically evangelical Christianity permeate every single facet of social life growing up. I mean, you yeah. had evangelical movements happening in public schools, you had them happening in public governments, you had them happening in almost every business, you had it in neighborhoods, you had it in obviously churches are like on every single corner. Uh, it's like you couldn't escape it's like, in, if you're in the South, you can't escape Christianity. Like you just, it's so permeated and so intertwined in everything that to not be a Christian and to be in the South is just like extremely difficult. And I think that's why maybe for so long, I held on to mm. a Christian identity, even when it didn't resonate with me, just because I knew of all the social implications that were gonna happen when I said, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. Yeah. Um, I knew I was going to lose everything. And I almost did lose everything. I didn't lose everything, but I was really close. I mean, I've lost mm -hmm. the majority of my friends. I've lost um, what it, my identity, because my identity was wrapped up in being a pastor, which meant being a Christian, which meant ministry, which meant everything. Like my whole life was in the church, right? So to leave yeah. that, it's like, it was all gone. Like, and so... Um, and I know you're in the Pacific Northwest. So like, what does Christianity look like in the Pacific Northwest? Is it, is it as intertwined as it is in other parts of the country? Or is there like good, healthy separation between maybe state and church and business and church? And so what does it look like for you up there? I think it, my, the vibe that I get is that it's just real hip. Like, it's like, we can talk about church at a brewery and that, you know, like, 
we're going to have a really good beer and talk church like that. And, and it's like, Ooh, you talk about, you know, beer at a pub. Cool. You know? And so I think that's how it is in the Pacific Northwest where they try to be super hip or they try to be super against everything about mm -hmm. the Pacific Northwest. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, like marijuana just became legal. Um, there's breweries and wineries everywhere, you know, and it's just like this culture of like, um, people think, you know, oh, like, let's go anti-cultural and just be these lights, quote unquote, light in the darkness of this Pacific Northwest heathenism or whatever. So I think it, it goes one of two ways. I mean, is that even accurate, though, in your opinion? Do you really feel like it's like, is it that secular or is there still a really strong religious presence in the Pacific Northwest? I mean... Or is it just know. like, is it just really, really hard to nail down? Is it just really like city by city or community by community or? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it is like, I don't know if I have a wide enough understanding of what it is, you know, to be able to fully answer that question. But I will say that when we moved out here, my husband and I, we, we've been almost every church in our like local area. Okay. And I mean, we went to six churches in eight weeks and it, I mean, just to check them all out. And yeah. it was just fascinating to see what's happening in churches out here that was you know 10 years ago but um and we've been to different ones that are and that you kind of saw it with uh covid because it's like some churches opened up right away or tried to never close some some church the church i've been kind of connected with the progressive faith community they've never gone back in person yet and i feel mm. super comfortable with that and so i mean i think it was just we're going to draw this line for Jesus and COVID or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> so it's just interesting. Um, one of the things I've been fascinated about is just the societal and anthropological implications of religion. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you, like, is it unfair to just be one extreme or the other when it comes to religion? So for me in the atheist space, there's a huge divide of multiculturalism, including like being um, tolerant of religious presence and its identity versus the atheists and agnostics that just are like, burn it down. Like, I wish there was no religion. We need to get rid of all religion. Religion is toxic. It does nothing but harm. Um, how do you feel about kind of the warring faction that you see between like the people that just want to like get rid of religion altogether and then the ones who are trying to make space for religion but they want accountability and they want better for religion yeah i don't know i mean i am not super steeped in that world of like those warring factions and atheism um so i don't know if i can speak to that i can um i will speak in this might be a a little um, offshoot of your question, but I okay. will speak to you because I do think that that's happening within evangelicalism because I think there's this like this movement of like the new revangelical. Yeah, that's a good point. Whatever. Yeah, talk about that actually. I've seen this revangelical thing <laughs> pop up on Twitter, and I am very confused. So yeah, I would love for you to give your expert advice and insight into what is revangelical and what's going on there. Um, well, and I think. I keep them at an arm's length, always, always. And I think what I'm seeing is there's people that are kind of like, what, are, what is happening with these people that are saying ex-evangelical and deconstruction? And so they start to kind of look at some of the tweets or the blog posts or, you know, the stories, and then they 
kind of think, oh, we're going to be different. And then they kind of just, I always call it like the hunger games. You create a new version of the same mm. bad thing, you know? Yep. And so it's like really what it is, is a way to say, okay, we want to hold space for you to have doubts and, and deconstruct or whatever you need to do. But then in the end, like, we're going to catch you here. And we're going to tell you like, we're, you know, we're just going to catch you and hope then tell you that this is where you should land because ultimately this is the truth. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like we're deconstructing out of that and we're yeah. figuring out our own journeys and everything else. And so I think um, I've been pretty leery and I get real ranty real fast when people start to give hot takes on what's happening in the deconstruction world that are not in that world. So, yeah, and I've noticed that too. That's been really frustrating for me is that you have a lot of evangelicals who are talking about ex-evangelicals or ex-evangelicals or, um, you know, the deconstructing community. But first of all, they have no understanding of it. And second of all, they won't talk with anybody who has gone through that experience. So they're only talking from like the outside looking in. They're not, they're not gaining an intimate perspective of things. And so they either straw man or they just stereotype or they just, um, they use it as a prop or an illustration to embolden their own bigoted, narrow-minded views of themselves and their beliefs to make themselves feel better. Um, and I've seen that a lot. So I've seen like evangelicals go, oh, so this person is an ex-evangelical now, or they're an agnostic now, or they're an atheist now. Well, they were never a Christian in the first place, or, well, you know, that person's going to hell, or like just whatever they want to say, whatever like nasty thing they want to say. Um, but every single ex-evangelical and deconstructing person that I know that came from conservative evangelicalism or fundamentalism were sincere when they were in that space. So for you yes. to go, they're being insincere or they weren't actually true to the faith in the first place is just disingenuous. Um, yeah, and I would also say, so, I, you know, I, have you read Jesus and John Wayne? No, not yet. I need to. Yeah. So, but you know, that's a really good critique of like how patriarchy perpetuated like evangelicalism and where it is today. And a lot of people said, you know, the kind of the solution is a church called Tove by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. And um, Scott McKnight was one of my college professors. Mm. Um, he's egalitarian. I have, I have a lot of good things to say about Scott, Scott McKnight, but I started reading the book and I just felt this like, cause basically the thesis is church needs goodness and tove and they need like the Mr. Rogers, like goodness. And I just, it, like you said, it doesn't cover it all. It doesn't tell the whole picture. It doesn't have the whole story. And so like what they did was they would take churches like Willow Creek and Mars Hill and talk about like Mark Driscoll and like, oh yeah, he was a narcissist and, and really say like, that was a bad church. And like, this is what you need to have a good church. And I, it, I was like, no, like that, like evangelicalism is bad. And this is why that's what I want yeah. to say. And, um, and I think I, I, I get into those conversations a lot because I get pushed back. I get, you know, you can't generalize all evangelicals. And I'm like, all evangelicals maintain a sexual ethic that you have to be abstinent until you're married Correct. and like right. th like there are certain things that yes you can say about all evangelicals and 
there are certain things that you can unpack that was harmful within evangelicalism. And so I think um, it is, you know, it's, uh, I've had conversations with friends before that have, that have kind of pointed out, it's kind of like when you talk about the police and you say like, but there's one good cop, you know, like, what about this one good? And it's like, no, but the system is bad. Like you, you need to really look at how the system is bad. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think, um, that's what I say when people give their hot takes or do the revangelical. I'm like, but like, have you really done, have you really looked into how the system is bad? Cause it doesn't look like you have. <laughs> yeah, no, those are really good points. I feel like some of that, oh, this church is bad, but our church is good. is just being like dismissive. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a constant dismissive attitude that I see amongst some Christians, um, many Christians, um, even progressive Christians. Honestly, I, I know some atheists um, that are just as angry and frustrated with progressive Christianity as they are with evangelical Christianity, and maybe more so. Um, I know a I'm couple- I'm listening. Tell me more. That's yeah, fine. so I know a couple <laughs> who are really upset at progressive Christianity because they see it as a cop-out. They see it as kind of like having your cake and eat it too. It's like, okay, so you can do all the reformations that one person said it this way, and I kind of laughed a little bit, I have to say. One person said, progressive Christianity is just humanism with Jesus, and it's dismissing Jesus of all the problematic things that Jesus espoused or didn't say, um, and it's it's like keeping the good. It's kind of like the Jefferson Bible of the 21st century is progressive Christianity, how Thomas Jefferson famously cut out all the parts he didn't like, and he kept the parts he did like, and he was left with like a sliver of the entire book, because that's all he could find that he could like. How mm-hmm. would you respond to someone if someone had a conversation with you and said, religion is toxic, burn it to the ground, why are you still maintaining that kind of identity or space? Or what would your be like rebuttal to that would be? Like, what would you, what are some of the redeeming qualities that you feel like are there? Or what are some of the things that maybe we're missing, especially the antagonistic and maybe agnostics or atheists or just like, now progressive Christianity is just as bad as like evangelical Christianity. It's just as bad as like any religion, especially religions that are, that have proposed, you know, endorsed slavery and genocidal violence and um, lots of other things that are just really hard to explain or really problematic. Yeah, so there's there's probably going to be a lot that I agree with those people about. <laughs> I don't, and I so I, I I think that I don't know if I'm in a space to really defend it to the end because I am still evolving where like what I believe and what I think. But I guess the way that you laid it out, as far as the critique that you said, I think I look at it that same way as like let's we're stripping away like we're kind of holding on to some things and stripping away other things but the way that I look at it is really from my own personal experience and that is like within evangelicalism like what I'm trying to strip away isn't just like what I just don't like it's more what I thought was kind of a manipulation or an interpretation based on these this evangelical way and so what I'm trying to figure out is like what was this white evangelical American Christianity and like what wasn't. And so I think that's what I'm trying to filter or sift through. Um, and I, I know I have a lot of work to do about decolonization too, because I, I, I totally see that. And, and I am listening to the yeah. voices that are speaking in that space too. But um, yeah, I think 
I, I do look when I see pushback because I see words like fundamental, fundamental pro, or progressive fundamentalists, Correct. I think. Yeah. And yep. so, yeah. And I think I'm like, oh, that is so interesting. And I've heard, you know, recently I was in a discussion about, hey, there's this new purity culture and it's progressives that are coming out like, hey, we want to be, make sure that we're pure and don't ever come across as anything that could be associated with this, that, or this, you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, that is actually a really good point that happens, you know? So I think I actually often agree with people more than I, I you know, but I, I don't know. And I think because I'm holding it loosely, I don't feel as like it's fragile for me to hear pushback on that, you know? It's a good point. Okay. So for those who are just, would just like it, what I did with you and your gracious response. So for someone who did have a gracious response, it's because you think they're probably just holding onto it a lot more tightly or they just have never gotten pushback maybe before and they don't know how to handle it. Um, I know that that's happened to me, even when I try to be as gracious as possible in presenting the argument, uh, <laughs> you're still going to set people off. And I think it's uh, because it's such, yeah. a, it's, such a, it's such a personal thing too. And I think yeah. sometimes we forget about that and we tend to intellectualize everything. And um, we have to remember that religion is a, an extremely personal experience. It's also a communal one and uh, it's a sociological one. So that means like there has to be some, there has to be some accountability of how we live our lives anyway, whatever our religious or non-religious belief is. I'm going to give you the last word. So what is it? What is it that you want to share? What encouraging words do you want to share for the listeners, um, those who are religious, those who are not religious? What are some of the most, what are some of the most important things in your heart right now that you just feel like, I just really wish people could get this. I really wish people could live like that. I really wish people would understand this about progressive Christianity. I really wish people would um, be more sensitive to, about this to, with my atheist and agnostic friends that I have. What are, what are some of the things that you want to leave with us? Um, I would say, um, validation of somebody's journey, I think is so critical. I think I've had people say like, you know, I think you need to find your personal happiness. And I'm like, you know, I am happy. I'm good. You know, and, but I think, um, they see my critique of things or they see me ranting and raving and, you know, there's freedom in the vulnerability of being able to say, like, really, really say how you feel and really articulate it. And, and I think I don't, I don't see it as sad. I don't see it as lost. I see it as, you know, finding my way and just traveling on a journey. And I just would hope that everyone holds each other's journey with that, with this validity of like, this is your journey. You've had all of this life experience that's led to your journey. And so, like that, like this, like, tell me more, you know? And so I think instead of holding a belief about what somebody's journey is or should look like, I think it's just so important to validate the journey that somebody is on, even if it's a different journey, even if it seems like a journey you wouldn't agree with, you know, I think just to validate that journey. And, and I will say, I'm learning that about, about evangelicals too, because I think that's, that's the weakness of mine that I'm like, burn it all down, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think the, the hope in that is just seeing people hold space for me and have grace. Um, yeah. And, and validating my own, my journey. And I think we have to do that for ourselves too, because I think deconstruction is hard. It's hard to, 
evolve an identity that you've had for decades and, and figure it out. And so, yeah, we need people to do it to help validate us, but we also need to validate it within ourselves and just have so much care and tenderness for our own journeys, because that can be hard. Thank you so much, Megan Crozier, The Pursuing Life. Uh, you can find her everywhere, Clubhouse, Twitter, Instagram. Your website is probably, the I Yeah, I should have mentioned my blog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was about to say your website is thepursuinglife.com, right? Yep, yeah. Okay, so. she's written lots of good stuff recently uh, on her website, in particular, Toxic Positivity getting a lot of attention all over Twitter. Um, she has a lot of good insights about that and much more. Megan, once again, thank you so much for being on Some Random Thoughts with me. Um, I really appreciate all your insights and I appreciate your friendship. And um, thank you for all the work that you do, especially on Clubhouse. Uh, go check out the Progressive Christians group on Clubhouse if, you, if you're on there. It's a wonderful group. They meet, um, they meet quite often. Uh, I usually attend the Thursday uh, evening group. Um, and yes, it's not just for progressive Christians, post-Christians too. I'm a post-Christian, I'm an atheist, and yet some of the best people that I have met recently on the internet are in that group, so go check it out. Megan, once again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. This was fun. Yes, absolutely. And thank you all for listening, and you only have one life. Make the most of it. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.